Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plug-in makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Luna Shadows. Luna is a music producer, songwriter, and vocalist currently based out of Los Angeles. And her style hovers somewhere around dancey dark pop, which you can hear really prominently on her recently released album, Digital Pacific. I had the honor of working alongside Luna and Tom Powers from The Naked and Famous on the upcoming video game, We Are OFK. And she is an incredible chameleon when it comes to her ability to produce in multiple styles of basically any genre. Luna is also a huge proponent of helping her fellow artists in the field succeed and is a great representation of the kinds of reach and success a fully independent artist can have. And we delve into how she created her identity, why she's focused on staying as independent as possible, and how she sustains her music career long term. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Luna Shadows. One of my favorite things about you is like how unique your presence is online and musically and how on, say, Instagram is a great example. You have such an aesthetic to literally everything you do from having videos of you skateboarding to having like a song about the 90s and you have this crazy music video showing that off to promoting music and having basically assets and an aesthetic based around everything that you do, including a cool name like Luna Shadows. That rules. That's such a cool name. So I'm curious how this kind of aesthetic even came about. Was it just this one day you just woke up 3 a.m. in bed and said like, I'm Luna Shadows from now on? Or, <laughs> or was it the sort of thing where you planned it? You just kind of stepped into it. You didn't know what you were doing at first and pieced it together over time. And how did you piece it together? Great question. I think it's both. I think that in general, at this point, I'm very, very cautious. Sounds like I'm in trouble. I'm not cautious, but like, I'm very aware. I'm very curated. I, I like, you're right. Everything that I do is very much like, I think about it a lot. So you are picking up on a truth that I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff. I mean, I think at first, I thought it would be cool to do a bit of a blank canvas thing and to put my music forward a little bit before putting my visuals as in like being the face of it. And I think I learned a lot from that. And something that I took away from that was like giving the audience an opportunity to see what they found interesting about me and then highlighting those things. So actually being reactive. I really, I'm jumping all over the place already. I'm nervous this is the first question. But um, the first time I played a show, I decided I had been posting my original Instagram aesthetic was like all black and white. And so the first time I played a show, I was like, I'm going to wear white. For some reason, I think like everyone's probably going to assume all black. So I was like, I'm going to wear white. And then I got to the show and my family and friends came and like, bless them. They showed up all in black and they were like, hey, we were sure like that you were going to be wearing all black, like dark, moody, lunar shadows. And I was like, I actually read into that and I was like, oh, wow, I actually shouldn't fight that. Like fashion's fun and I love trying different things. But I was like, if people see this as like a feature of me and I love that, it's obviously authentic to me too. I don't know why I was combating it to begin with. But 
the point is I like to be reactive and like play with the audience a little bit. And as far as being curated, I think that comes from not being talented. I've had to work very hard at like putting a ton of effort into every single thing I do. I wasn't like one of these kids that popped out of the womb with like natural talent, like Mariah Carey. Like I had to work very, very hard to get anywhere. And so now organization and thoughtfulness, I feel like that is my calling card more than it is that I'm good at anything in particular. (laughs) That's actually the most interesting thing I wanted to talk to you about in a previous interview. You mentioned I'm not talented. I don't see myself as naturally talented. You have to work for it, which is great. That's something I wish more artists said and kind of acknowledged because, you know, we do see Mariah Carey's and stuff like that from time to time where they're just geniuses right away. But more often than not, that's not the case for so many people we look up to. And I'm curious, what did that quote unquote non-talent journey look like for you? Like, was it just the sort of thing where, okay, you started on piano, you played that for a million years, and then you got into production and then you stuck with that. What allows you to stick to things? Because when you're not naturally talented to things, it's not fun to learn them, right? It's it, like, it, it feels like you're bashing your head against the wall at a certain point. You hit that intermediate stage. You're like, oh my God, vocal chopping again. Oh, like it takes forever. So I'm curious, how do you stick to things? What was that kind of journey like to learn every skill that you have right now? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say that I feel like you've written about this before too. Like, have I seen you? I have, yeah. Here? Okay. And I remember being relieved when I saw that because you're maybe one of the only other people that I've ever seen talking about this. But I think like, okay, so on the note of not being talented, what I mean by that is like I was saying, first of all, I didn't come from a family of musicians or artists. I came from a family who was very passionate about the arts um, and very supportive and surrounded me with a lot of music and a lot of art and brought me to the museum and did all that. But they themselves were not artists, but they were very encouraging. I think when it comes down to what made me stick with it, even if it was difficult, was a passion for it. Like even when I was bad at it, I enjoyed it. I love to sing. I have seen the distance between like, oh, this is a singer. They're amazing. Here's me. I'm crap, but I love to sing. And so what am I going to do to get from here to here? And I just like try to fill in the blanks with piano. Yeah. Like I've jumped all over the place and you're right. Like it's been a bit like chipping away at the marble. But I did jump from like classical piano to like musical theater, jazz. And I don't know. It's I think all of it has become a part of my identity. And if anything, I was kind of like a late bloomer. Like I started classical piano at like 12. So not only was I not naturally talented, but I was also like late to the party. So a lot of my independent success that, that if I've had any has come from being really resourceful and trying really hard and hustling really hard, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you are one of the most ambitious people I've ever seen, which is great. I love that. That's an awesome quality to see in people who are in the artistic sorts of fields. And you've kind of mentioned before that a lot of the ways you think about things like your next tracks or music videos or how you promote yourself, you kind of start with this idea, this ambition first, and then find ways to execute on that. Can you talk about that a little more? Because the stuff you make is so cool, especially from a music video standpoint, you say, all right, I'm going to direct my own stuff. I'm going to co-direct it. And I'm going to have all these crazy visuals. I'm going to make this unique kind of video, whatever it may be. Can you talk about how those big ideas come about when a lot of people in music will just rather be like, I just want to release music and kind of sit back, but you kind of think a little bit bigger. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I think a lot of it comes from necessity again, because 
even though I've developed a skill set, right? And I like to think that I've improved at things, maybe just like, I don't know, 5% since I'm 12. Um, <laughs> first of all, I live in LA. Second of all, like I was in public art school uh, in New York City. And like, there was just so much competition. The competition has always been so high around me that I was just like, right, how do I get noticed in this room because everybody's good. And and my personal path has been thoughtfulness, has been organization, has been tenacity, has been resilience. It's like just being the last one standing is honestly my plan half the time because I'm not the most talented and I'm I'm not... I don't know. I, I would love to be the best at what I do. I'm always working towards that. It's not like I'm like, oh, I don't care about this. I, I If anything, now I the older I get, the more I just want to make good art and I care less and less about being the biggest voice in the room. But in order to get to that place, I had to go through the motions. And so, you know, with the example of a video, I was a theater student for a while at school and I had this teacher who was talking about a checkoff play, The Cherry Blossom. And I don't know if the story is true or not, but it's a good story. The the story goes that like Chekhov just saw like a cherry blossom reaching through the window and that was the title of like his most famous play that inspired and it's just like it starts with just a branch it starts with like a flower creeping through the window and i think for me that's usually how things start like i'm trying to think of a recent video palm springs i had created this whole la dynamic for my album and i was like how do i take it out of town and then i was like oh palm springs that's a place where a lot of people from la go there's this coachella culture there's this getaway and then i just started building around that. I found a person that I thought would be good to feature on it, you know, eventually came up with the visuals. But as far as like putting it all together, I just spend a ton of time like with every single thing that I do. It's like very much sketched out like storyboard and and everything. Because you do basically everything yourself. You get some help, of course, but you do so much of it on your own. And that is the kind of indie mentality. You're in the independent space when you're the sort of person who's like, all right, I'm going to start co-directing a video. I'm going to write the song. I'm going to kind of think of all these ideas, all that sort of stuff. What kind of makes you stay in the independent space? Because a lot of people, even today, uh, will think, okay, I need a label. I need a manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They'll think they need a giant team before they can do anything. Whereas you've kind of done the opposite where you execute a lot of it, if not most of it on your own. What do you prefer about having that sort of mindset and that kind of control? I really, really enjoy being an independent artist. I think in general, I definitely romanticized as a younger person, having a team. And and don't get me wrong, like there are major advantages to those things. But I don't think I realized the advantages of being independent. I'll, I'll say this, like the day that I was like, before I even started this project, I would wait around and be like, okay, when's the manager going to come to me? When's a label going to come to me? Like, I actually had experiences where I would be called into a major label's office and they'd pay attention to me for three weeks and then never call me again. Or like I would kind of get breadcrumbed along by people. And I just got really sick of that. And I was like, wait a second. I just want to empower myself, take things into my own hands. So it was not like a decision I made consciously right away. But in retrospect, I'm really grateful for how difficult the industry made it for me that it ended up empowering me because I took that experience of being an outsider and I made it into being somebody who knows how to navigate everything from registering songs correctly to distributing my own music to like reviewing contracts, which like I have a lawyer. That's one of the only teammates I have. And and even just asking him a million questions all the time, 
all, just lots of questions all the time to everyone and keeping track and keeping notes and and a lot of failure. This morning, I was going through some old emails, looking up an old song registration. And I think like it was only like six years ago, which is not that long ago or seven years ago that I was like saying something really, really novice in an email that I would have been like, oh my God, I, how did I not know what a master side of a recording was? Like that I would think today... I would be much harder on myself for a lot of that stuff. So time, experience, and like a lot of failure. Yeah. And I think rejection is a big part of this game, right? It's it's a huge part of it. So have you kind of found a way to become immune to it? Or is it the sort of thing where you just kind of shrug and deal with it? Oh, I don't shrug. I cry, baby. I cry a lot. I cry alone in the shower. I cry alone in my room. I cry alone in my bed. I think the thing that I've gotten better at dealing is compartmentalizing. I think when I was a bit younger, I would have like sent an email or a long email or something. And now I just like, I talk about it with my friends. I talk about it with my peers. I try to even make fun of it. Like I'll get a lot of rejections from like blogs and magazines that are like, I hate this song. It's the worst thing I've ever fucking heard. And then I'll like, it will really hurt me, even though I shouldn't care what other people think supposedly, but I do. But then I'll show somebody and they'll be like, oh, you got that? I got this email. And like another artist friend will be like, oh, they said if I ever show my face around here again, you know, like, so I think having a shared experience helps. That's been a big thing. I think don't suffer your rejections on your own. Sometimes on my like close friend stories, I'll like post my rejections and things like that just to like laugh with yourself. It's okay to feel down, but I think the more you can be playful about it or just push it away from just don't send that long email right away. Wait 24 hours. I think that is the only thing that's different. That's the only resilience that I have that I didn't have before. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's good to hear that it still kind of stings because I think a lot of people would think, oh, you just get so used to it that it, it just goes away, which I haven't found to be the case. And it's good to hear you haven't found to be the case. I think that's true of most humans. Well, hold on. I can't believe you were ever rejected from anything. Oh, oh, shush. Oh, you sweet pumpkin, <laughs> shush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything. Oh, my God. Every time. Like so many game projects, so many speaking gigs, all that sort of stuff. All, all the time. It's true of everybody. Give me their address. <laughs> Give, we'll we'll yeah. trade. We'll trade rejections and we'll fight the others for each other. Perfect. Fantastic. So I'm actually curious. You mentioned like playfulness, right? With, with all of this stuff, because there's so many down moments when you're making your own thing and pushing your own art, art out there. So when you have that playfulness, is that how you're keeping things fresh? Because some of your songs you've been working on for literal years to get them out the door. So how do you keep it fresh for that long without thinking, oh, I hate this and just throwing it away entirely? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so some songs take years to finish, but I would not say that I work on any song like for a year. I think that's a bit of like an illusion that is out there like myself personally i tend to write really quickly so the actual song writing itself will usually just be a day maybe two days if i'm really struggling like i wouldn't never spend probably more than three days writing and editing something so the actual like lyrics melodies typically happen right away although like sometimes it's just like tickling yourself right it's hard it's hard to see what is going to give you a sensation so sometimes like, like, for example, right now, I've got a song that I really like, but it doesn't have a chorus. Like I've got all the verses and everything else, but sitting and trying to do it hasn't really worked. So I'm kind of like trying to shut it out of my mind and, you know, living life a little bit and then going to reopen it. But for the most part, I think production is what takes the longest time. 
because I'm a songwriter and a producer and artist, the production is by far putting the whole thing together. It takes the most time. It's just the most time consuming. So I would say my personal strategy to circle back to your question, because I just keep like answering such long form answers, is this is for myself. I get the main inspiration out and like I feel the feelings. I feel good and happy. And then the production tends to be just more like tedious and like taking the time to do the things. But I try to get as much creative juice out as possible because I actually don't think there's a lot of hope for me personally after like, you know, the 75% mark or 80% mark. It's going to be really hard if you didn't get it on the first day or two to like excite yourself beyond that. So I try to keep it technical beyond that point. And that's what would take the time. Yeah. Okay. So you keep it swift up to a point and then the tedium comes in, but that's after the, the melodies, the core stuff. Yeah. I would never like spend several years writing lyrics. Like the only exception would be like, again, if I needed to fill in a section that feels like too big of a topic, or maybe it just wasn't there. But in general, because I'm like a trained songwriter, because songwriting is like a discipline to me rather than like an inspiration. I would sooner just kind of move on to another song unless I was really in, um, feeling passionate about what I was working on. Mm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So so it stays exciting and fresh and not drudgery the entire time. What about you, though? Because, I mean, you do sound design. That tends to be for big projects. That probably takes a million years, right? Six million? It takes six million. Uh, you're right. You nailed that on the second try. So sound design is interesting because what I like to think about it, maybe this is true for you too, to keep it fresh, how do I make this a performance over time? So like, how can I do dumb Instagram posts about this thing I'm working on so I can get those sweet, sweet likes as I'm doing this so I'm not just in a cave completely invisible to the world. And then three years later, this thing comes out. So I try to think of it in a performative sense of like, all right, I'm going to record a video of me on camera, like hitting this watermelon. I don't know. You're really good at <laughs> self-documenting though. Like I, well, I think two of us sit alone in rooms a lot and you're better at like, I, I don't know. No, you are. Your Instagram is A plus. One of us has more followers than the other. I don't know. No, my Instagram is more like, I do a lot more like photo shoots and things, but I feel like you're better at documenting your process. And that's something I actually am like wanting to get better at because I don't know, I, maybe I'm a millennial. I'm still like, oh, I'm supposed to like use this thing to, to document myself. That's weird. It's not totally natural to me, but I know I'm boring to me, but like, you know, I'm sure you probably feel the same about yourself. And yet you push through that and you make things interesting which by the way i love your new tiktok series the elephant poop is so good i sent it to a bunch of my friends on a day when we were all experiencing <laughs> rejection speaking of rejection thank you i'm glad you like it it's good to hear other creatives liking my analogies and <laughs> dumb history lessons so good no that one and then also you did one about artistic jealousy or whatever and i actually have on my notes and like that was a TikTok idea, although mine was more comedy centered and I haven't done it. So there's no competition, but I, I want all your listeners to go listen to that one. You are too kind to me. You're too I'll, sweet. I'll send you the bill. Thank after. you. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Invoice me after we'll take care of it. I'll have my assistant take care of it. It'll be no problem. <laughs> but actually you mentioned something just there as a joke, but it's actually kind of a good thing to talk about is competition, right? Like in, in a space like yours, especially there is, it is fierce. You know, a lot of people are trying to get their songs out. A lot of people are trying to get visual, like eyes on them. A lot of people are trying to get those plays and playlisting and all that. 
do you see it as competition? Do you really care about that? Do you say like, okay, I need to beat them? Or is there a different mindset there for you? I fucking love this question because I talk about this all the time. So I'm so glad you asked. I do not believe in competition, at least not on this level. I think unless you're like literally in the same category as somebody at the Grammys, there's no such thing as competition, especially amongst women. Like this comes up a lot. I have worked really hard amongst my friends and peer groups trying to create a situation where like, I don't know, I think there's this huge illusion that like somebody's got to be in the front or like there's like, and it's like, no, we can all be on indie pop. Like we can all be there. There's enough space. There's so many songs. So I think um, I'm not good at anything, but I'm, this is like one thing that I'm really, I've worked to be this way. I don't think I was born with this, but like having gone to a competitive schooling programs and summer programs and whatnot, I have worked very hard to just erase the idea that people are my rivals or my competitors. And the sooner you see them as collaborators, I think the better off you are. And in fact, like, I think your video maybe touched on this as a while ago, but like, whenever I feel jealous of someone, I either reach out to them or I think like, what is it about them that makes me jealous? And how can I apply that? Like not steal their art, but apply the concept like, oh, they are playing a music festival. And they're like, okay, well, what steps do I need to take? I need to get an agent. I need to do that. You know, I need to put together my live show. I just try to fill in the, the gaps. Yeah, you're using it as a as a rudder, yeah. as a direction, as opposed to just being, me, I hate them, and then walking away. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's a healthy mindset to have, especially when this is a space where so many people can be bogged down entirely by their own minds, right? They can just destroy themselves mentally just by thinking about like, okay, how do I destroy this person? Or I need to be at the front, or I need to win this, or whatever. To be honest, the only spaces I've seen competition or like rivalry is in a very superficial, upsetting way, which I'm not going to like put anybody on blast. But again, this happens a lot with women and not the women themselves, but the institutions around them. Like I've been told like, oh, you can't open for this person because they're a female artist. So we don't want another female opener or, hey, we're not going to sign you at this management company because your rival is here. And I'm like, that's not my rival. I'm a huge fucking fan of that person. Like, I want to play a show with them. I've actually been told these things or whistleblowers have told me like there's there's always a way that you kind of hear this. But I think that's just messed up. I don't think that we should fit that picture. You know, I don't think we should be like, oh, I need to see them as competitors. I'm going to continue treating them as collaborators, potential collaborators, or just I'm at the very least just a fan. So I think beyond that, there's no reason to be competitive with anyone unless it's helpful. Like a little bit of competition is healthy. Right. But it's not the uh, zero sum mentality where if like if they win, I lose. You don't have that sort of mindset, which I think is so healthy and so good. And I think because of that, or at least partly because of that, you also like helping other artists. You like talking them through things. You like giving advice. You love bringing other people up. You love telling them like, oh, try the X, Y, Z, which is so good. It's such a good thing to see. So I'm curious, what do you tell? And this is a broad question. We can narrow it down in a second. But new producer comes to you, new singer, songwriter, whoever, someone who wants to do music comes to you and says, I want to be just like Luna Shadows. What do I do? Like, what sort of broad advice do you give to them first? Okay, it really depends on the angle that they're coming from, because I think this is something you and I have in common is like, we're advice columns. You, I understand, like you've given a literal TED talk, me, I don't know why. But okay, I used to be a music teacher. And maybe I radiate that like low key. 
So um, yeah, I got a lot of questions. I got a shocking amount of like emails, often from young women, occasionally guys though as well. I'm trying to think of what they ask me. It depends if their questions are business or creative because I've gotten everything from like, how do I need a collaborator to how do I negotiate with my co-producers or how do I get a manager? How do I get a label deal? How do I get on playlists? So I guess it would really have to depend on the nature of the question. Okay, let's narrow it down then. Let's let's say someone is wanting to promote their music. Like, I want to get more plays. I want more people to hear my stuff and know I exist. Okay, I got this email last week. I'm like, what did I say? I Well, the first thing that I always say whenever I give any sort of advice is that this is my experience and this is insight based on that experience. But everybody's path is different. And anybody who tells you like, there's only one way or this is the way is a red flag to me. And especially if it's a younger, more vulnerable artist, you know, that I'm talking to, I want to make sure that they know that I'm just one person. So I always preface anything that I have to offer by saying there can be many paths. And then beyond that, how would I get more streams? How do I get more plays? There are a couple of answers. One is creative, right? So it's like, okay, so maybe they send me music to evaluate. And I say to them, like, what is it that you think creatively you need to work on? What are the blanks that you need to fill? Do you need to step up your music video production? Do you need better mixing? Do you need better mastering? And that's not something I ever say, because I think that's part of the process for them is figuring out what are the things that creatively they need to improve slash just bloom. Not everybody that reaches out to me needs like help. Most of them are really excellent and already have like a really good thing going on. So that's the first kind of branch is creative, right? But then once we push that aside and say, okay, like, let's just assume that you've got a really great product going on. I hate saying that word product, but you know, we're shifting into Forbes. (laughs) Now we're, we're going full on. (laughs) That's when I encourage them to empower themselves as their own managers, as their own publicists, whatever roles that they need to fill, or if they would like to bring other people onto their team. I try to go with them step by step. Like, where are the places we see music? Well, we see it featured on DSPs like Spotify and Apple. Okay, so what are the things you can do to be featured there? You can submit via certain portals. You can submit through, you know, an industry contact. You can also, I think this is the most effective thing. And this is the answer nobody wants to hear. I think the biggest way to get them to pay attention to you is less talking to them and more making a splash elsewhere. It's almost like being at a pool party. And it's like, if you want people to pay attention, like someone needs to jump in the pool to to look over. And so that brings me to the next point. Like, okay, maybe... So how do we get their attention? What are the options? Well, there's press. Well, there's the art itself where there's a TikTok moment where there's... You know, that could be a lot of different things. It could be a sync. You could have the movie moment. You could have a gossip girl gossip girl i'm such a millennial you you know you could have a real moment somewhere in some other media that puts a spotlight on you starts generating you know your own streams and then that is what gives it the lift off that it needs so there are a lot of ways there's not one way but somehow you need to make it so that your voice stands out and i think that you've got to balance really like hustling and trying and then knowing when to move on to the next thing and giving that the next best shot. Yeah. I think that's really good advice because what you outlined was there's no one clear way to 
success or finding streams or whatever that idea of success is to that person. And especially on the creative side, it's very loosey-goosey because, you know, you tomorrow might get 200 million plays on TikTok. You have no ideas. That could just happen. But so long as you're physically present doing the thing that sets up those potential dominoes to be knocked over. And I'm curious on the kind of more business side of things, are there any like clear red flags that you warn people about? Like don't sign a deal that says this or watch out for people who say this, anything like that that come up pretty commonly? Yeah. Uh, Well, the first thing is use your intuition and use your gut. And if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. And that seems so obvious and cliche, but I can't tell you the amount of times that I knew something was wrong and I just signed the paper anyway or did the thing anyway. I would say, do not be afraid to ask questions. Do not rush into anything. You don't have to do anything. Be armed with all the information you need. A situation that I see a lot is, uh, I would say, oftentimes producers pressuring artists into agreements and saying, well, this is what I do or this is what everyone does. I just think it's it's important to know that everything's a negotiation and have a little more self-confidence. You know, they need you as much as you need them. The same goes for label deals. As far as like red flags, you know, every label deal is unique. And I think there's no need to rush into a label deal in today's climate. I would say my best advice is establish yourself as much as possible. By that, I mean your identity, your sound, your look, everything that makes you you. Because as soon as as there are cooks in the kitchen, you need a lot of confidence to field opinions and to figure out, okay, which one of these opinions provide really valid feedback and which of them are just random opinions about some dude who heard a song once and decided he didn't like it. A lot of that. Like, I think we have this idea that when we're, when we've entered a professional realm that everyone's opinion needs to be taken very seriously. But like, I've ran into this a lot where my own opinion generated more success than listening to the plan of somebody that I don't know. Nobody's ever going to care as much as you. And it comes down to that. So make sure you care. Stop relying on other people. The day that you see your teammates as a bonus to your project instead of like your dependence is good. No dependence around here. You can appreciate them and listen to them, but you need to know how to be independent within that. Mm, Having a strong vision and knowing when to follow your like inner compass essentially is... Is huge. And I imagine that's something that just is owned over years, right? That's not something you're born with. I don't think there's a shortcut for that, unfortunately. I have like made so many bad choices. I, I just can't see having known things without having learned them the hard way. That's true. I mean, some things you just have to. And because that's really good advice, I want to point out some other really good advice that you've given me because I've asked you questions before too. Uh-oh, I forgot what I said. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. And this is like from your mentor to you, to me, to various other people. But you mentioned the three Ps, Oh yeah, which I think is such good advice. So can you elaborate on that? Okay. I wish it was my mentor, but it's this artist, Caroline Polachek, that I like, I'm just a fan of hers. If she was my mentor, I would die. But no, so she says advice that she would give to aspiring artists is learn the three Ps, Photoshop, Premiere, and Pro Tools. And I think when you break that down, it's um, learn audio, visual, and video. So Pro Tools could be Ableton, Logic, whatever you want, Photoshop, Illustrator, and then there's video. So Final Cut Pro, Premiere. And I think to her point, if I could elaborate with my own experience, I think in today's music environment, at least, people... And by people, I mean, industry folk are kind of expecting you to be 
kind of market ready. They don't want to do the work. They want you to show up like not like half baked in the oven. They want they want the full cake to just serve out to the restaurant. They won't admit this, but this is the truth. And so the more you can illustrate your vision, like let's say you're making a video, even if you hire a director or even if you hire an editor and you're not the editor yourself, you still want to be able to at least have the vocabulary to explain what you want. Same thing with photos, press photos. I went through like having photos of myself that I really didn't like. And then, but like learning editing software and even just being able to sketch things up, like all my my album art, all my single art, I sketch up and then I work with a graphic designer and he does a much better job implementing my ideas. But like just developing the skill set to talk about what you want to take it from up here in your brain and putting it out into the world, into something tangible, super important. And obviously the letter P pro tools, the number three, I would rank it number one. If you're a musician, I think that it doesn't matter if you're an artist, songwriter, producer, whatever it is. I think it's absolutely essential at this point to have some familiarity with um, engineering and it's one thing to be an engineer and then you can evolve into a producer if you're really feeling inspired. But at the very least, like you should know your ABCs so that you don't get taken advantage of. And not, not everyone is like evil looking to take advantage of you, but it's just everyone has an opinion. And if you're working with another artist who's very passionate, they might, you know, kind of accidentally steamroll you and you want to be able to have the vocabulary to say, actually, I want this. Yeah, I, I remember you you did, I believe it was an Instagram story or post or something where you mentioned that a lot of people should learn to produce, even if they're just singer songwriters, they should at least know a little bit about it so they can at least get some ideas out of their head and onto paper. And I think that's so huge, especially when it's digital, where they can just make something, send it off to someone. Maybe they have another producer that can do it further than they can, but at least the vision is there. That's exactly right. And I, for the record did not want to be a producer. I didn't even think it was possible. It wasn't something that was on the cards for me. I just wanted to be a writer and an artist. And it's been almost, I don't know, like eight years or something now, nine years now. Uh, what is it? 2021? I, we skipped 2020, right? That didn't count. Right. Okay, so eight or nine years ago, out of necessity, like I was picked up as a songwriter by a major label whose name shall not be spoken. And they were kind of peer pressuring me into being a songwriter versus an artist like they wanted for me to write songs for like pop stars which i have an interest in doing but at the time i very much wanted to focus on being an artist um but one of the things that happened when i was there was they would send me all these tracks and be like hey you want to write something for some like big pop star and i'd be like okay and i i felt confident as a songwriter but i'd send that back these like super shitty garage band demos and i'd be like oh uh I don't know about this. So I panicked. I had some friends show me some stuff. I got auto-tune and I figured out, I sent back like basically the same thing. And they were like, this is great. And from that experience, I actually just started getting better at it and taking more interest in it and seeing how at the same time it was feeding back in and helping me. I like that. That's really cool. And it's funny that you kind of fell into it by accident because I think a lot of people do for things that they just become eventually good at. You know, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a sound designer. Like, that's not a thing most people think. Uh, I, I used to be a touring drummer. I had hair longer than yours down to my butt. That sounds like a competition. If you Instagram stalk me, you will see. Okay. If you scroll okay. way back, uh, you'll see me sweaty playing metal drums backstage. I can't believe I didn't know this about you. I don't talk about it very much, but it's a thing. I, I used to play with uh, Nobuo Umatsu, who's the composer of Final Fantasy. Uh, so I was his drummer cool. for a while. Uh, so I did touring with that. And 
then did this. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot in between. But actually, I'm curious because I'm going to I'm going to say the horrible T word that died last year, which is touring. And I am so curious about, you know, hopefully soon it comes back. Hopefully soon that becomes a thing. What's the plan? Like, do you have somewhere like, okay, I really want to hit this place first. This is like, I'm dying to play here first. I really need this to happen. Do you care right now? Is it something that you're really waiting to come back? Where are you at in terms of that? Okay, so prior to 2020, doing whatever it is that it did, I had touring plans, US touring plans. I was going to be playing some venues that I was really excited about. They were kind of like rite of passage for me where I'd seen a lot of my favorite artists playing. There was going to be the biggest shows that I'd ever played. Obviously, those got canceled. We tried to postpone them, but it was just like people like, we have no idea what's going on. Right now, I don't have touring plans. I think that another thing that I'm just going to like ruin this here for everyone, artists don't really like it's not like, oh, I want to go to Hawaii. Let's go. Like, I'm going to go to a show there. It's like, <laughs> you know, you go to where the demand is. So we, we have our stats and stuff. So as far as where I would go, like my biggest countries are the U.S. Um, obviously, all the kind of major cities, especially coastal cities. Seattle's on there, actually. Ah, Seattle's yay. on the list. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> um, Seattle's on the list. Uh, so like L.A., New York, Chicago, kind of all, all those places. But, you know, other places in between. Canada, Yay. maybe because I make sunny Californian music. The UK as well, cold places. And then I've got Australia, I think is my next biggest audience. But I don't have any touring plans as of now. I just jumped right into making another album. But I'm open to touring plans. I just, I'm a like a high risk COVID person. So up until this week, where I just got vaccinated, I like was not even really thinking about stuff and i'm quite surprised that i don't know i'm skeptical i'm seeing shows planned for like september october and i think it's like 50 50 right now i also don't know how fans feel there's also this other thing where like i'm a smaller upcoming artist and if everyone shows back up at the same time like obviously a lot of people have lost jobs this past year it's been difficult like economically and so like people are probably gonna go see their like you know, top artists, the big biggest artists. And that's probably it's going to be a bit of a bottleneck situation. So I, I don't know if I'll actually even be able to get back out before that. I, I probably sh shouldn't be saying that on here because you, you're supposed to like talk yourself up publicly. Like, yeah, there's so much demand, but I don't know. <laughs> all my fans are really awesome, but they're like, they've just bought all my merch. So I don't know if they have any more money left over for the show ticket. I'm trying to give everyone a break. I love it. I love it. Everyone loves you and they're buying your stuff. They are, which is weird and nice. I mean, it's not weird. It's weird to me that I'm like, why would anybody ever? Yeah, anyway. Well, I'm curious because you do a really good job of cultivating a community, like a really good job. You have your Discord, you have Instagram, you you help people out, like we said earlier. It's amazing. It's so cool to see. So do you have any plans while you're making this community? Did you go like, okay, I'm going to do XYZ. This is how a community is made for an artist. Or was it just, let's see what happens? I did not have any plans. You know, to be honest, I've been experiencing some burnout lately. Like not because of the people I interact with, especially like on my Discord are so nice. It's not that. It's just that I've been doing social media for so long and like low-key secretly do social media for other people as like a side gig from time to time. So I kind of know my way around social media. But then at the same time, when I have to do it, I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. 
like content creation takes a long time. Thinking of a caption where you don't sound stupid takes a long time. It's exhausting. And then you're worried about how you look and it's hard to not be comparative and how you sound and just everything. It just, it sends you like on an anxiety spiral. So, I mean, I like, I departed from your original question, which. (laughs) All good. Do it. But anyway, no, I didn't have a plan, but I knew my rules are always like, be nice to people. Um, be friendly. There's no reason to be an asshole. And I, when I thank people or respond to people in my DMs, like it's genuine. It means, it really means a lot to me that they've taken the time to reach out. When I was growing up, I never heard back from my favorite artists. I definitely did not have a direct line to them. And so I think it's pretty cool to have the opportunity at the same time in the future. Like if my platform grew, I might reevaluate and renegotiate and not because I don't appreciate it, but because I don't know, like, don't you feel like you see like celebrities with like 10,000 people a minute telling them what they think of them. Like, I feel like there's a point where it's not good anymore. It definitely crosses a line. And maybe that line is one follower for some people. Yeah. And for some, it's it's much higher. Yeah, it, it definitely can get that way for sure. And I'm curious for you, like, does it ever get to you? It sounds like it kind of can if it's, oh, God, I have to make more content. Well, people are really nice to me at this stage. I've just kind of passed the 10th thousand follower threshold and it's like only recently have there's been like a little bit of negativity but i i think it just goes hand in hand like the bigger you get the higher the number the more assholes jump on board at this point i feel very lucky because it's like almost everybody who's there is there because they want to be nice i've definitely gotten more like criticism and stuff like I like don't feel like a public figure or anything, but I guess, I don't know, as soon as you hit double digits, people start seeing you that way and expect responses and things and kind of have demands. And it definitely makes me feel put on the spot sometimes. I I think I chose the wrong career. I I, I should be behind the scenes. Like I'm totally serious. I'm not cut out <laughs> for this. I'm like pretty anxious person. So I, we shall see. It really depends on the day. but. Any day that people are nice and grateful and cool and yeah, that's fine with me. Yeah, yeah, there are ups and downs for sure. And I think I think there's so much glamour to the music world that people assume that, oh, you're doing so well, everybody must love you. I get and weird it must be fine all the time, which <laughs> obviously isn't true. God, I can't imagine. Oh my God. I want some screenshots at some point. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm curious because a long a while ago I DM'd you about like music production and all that sort of stuff. And you gave me really great advice. But I'm curious from your point of view, what does a good music producer do? I was like, what advice did I give you? I was like, was it like mm. <laughs> um, what does a good producer do? Listens. I think a good producer listens. I can't speak for myself, but the producers that I enjoy working with are those that listen to lots of music that absorb they're like sponges they have a lot of reference points and they also listen to me and i try to do that when i'm the producer is listen to other people listen to the other artists that i'm working with be open be receptive be open-minded i think another thing that i've learned from working with tom who's you know my producer partner is uh becoming a good editor i think a really good producer is a good editor this is a skill that i didn't have really that he's taught me so i work with two producers regularly one is my friend brad and one is tom and brad i feel like he's more of a person that i like to start with 
And Tom is the person that I really enjoy finishing songs with. And sometimes it's just me. But when I get to work with those two, I don't know. I feel like this different kind of energy. The starting, there's this Brad. It's really, I also feel very inspired. He's really good at like pulling my best ideas out of me and almost like intuiting what mood and emotion I'm going for. I should say this, like, I feel like they were kind of my mentors on my first album. But like I said in the other interview I did recently, I've like, I've scaled up my skill set. So now sometimes they call me with questions. But um, but yeah, back to being an editor, you said what makes a good producer, I think a good listener, a sponge, but also like a great editor, somebody who can go back and really like, sit down through the boredom and through the lack of like, oh, I don't want to be paying attention to this. I don't want to be and like really sitting down for eight hours and like, just going through bit by bit, instrument by instrument, listening to things separately, listening to them as a whole, coming back a day later and doing it again. There's a balance because also over editing isn't good. Sometimes that can happen. But yeah, I think a good listener and a good editor is, is a good place to start. I think that's, that's a really good answer. So we're going to start wrapping up. I have a few last questions for you as we as we finish up. So uh, the first one of this last group is I'm curious what you're excited to learn about next. Is it more things about production? Is it social media? Is it something entirely different? Do you love physics? Anything? Yeah. Okay. Um, for music, I would say definitely production. I'm definitely on the production path. Songwriting. I don't really feel like I'm looking to quote unquote learn more with songwriting, but I do feel like I have set up songwriting challenges for myself. Um, one thing that I've noticed about the writing I've been doing this past year, which I think is reflective of being home and doing Zoom sessions and having a lot of time to think and reflect. I think in the past, I was very reactive. Like it would be like, oh, I'm hungry today. So I'm going to write a song about being hungry. But I had a really hard time writing about like big topics that took up like, giant pieces of my life be like oh i got in a fight with a boy i'm gonna write a song about that whereas the songs i've been writing now i've been kind of challenging myself to be like what is something that's so big that it scares you like i just wrote a song about my mom and i'm like how i could only fuck this up like moms are so special and powerful i'm like this better be good but i never had the guts to do that before because i was too worried that a topic that's like so big and all-encompassing would be too difficult to like i just didn't want to boil it down into something that was like reductive. So that's kind of my songwriting goal, as well as being more direct and vulnerable and like almost like daring myself to say things that I might be scared to say. Production wise, I would say my goals with production are more like learning a language. I've taken the the classes and now I want to be fluent. So I just think there's always more to learn and there are a million plugins and I, I tend to go to the same things. So like lately I've been challenging myself to like either try different things or if I'm going to the same things, okay, use them a different way. And like, do you, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you just reverting to like an old habit? Like just making sure I'm really familiar with stuff and not just glazing over it. What about you? What am I learning? Oh, I'm learning a lot of right now, actually. I'm trying to learn as much as I can outside of my current niche. So I literally read a book today on laundry, like not joking. It's like a book okay, about laundry. It was so good. It was such a good book. It was fascinating. What what about <laughs> laundry? Now I like I need something. It was it was like all about how to do your laundry better than everyone else tells you. I'm like, oh, this rules. This is a delight. There's literally a guy in Minneapolis who teaches laundry classes 
and wrote a book on it. I'm like, this guy loves something that nobody else thinks about. I'm absolutely going to buy this book. And he loves laundry. It's like his favorite thing in the world to talk about it. He's a delight, a super adorable human. So of course I'm going to read about that. I read a book the other day called Six Easy Pieces, which is like an introduction to physics by Richard Feynman. Anything I can get outside of my niche. Hey, now like I feel like to... I should change my answer because I answered like music. You can you can show me other stuff too. Absolutely. Uh, so I've been doing gardening the past year. I want to develop a green thumb. So that's been a big thing. I've learned a lot about plants, flowers. So that journey is kind of like starting to pop up on my Instagram. I've also like, you know, visual art and interior design are two things that kind of fall under the same umbrella. But I have always been interested in both. I started doing art club over the pandemic with a few friends where we each pick an era and we do it like drunk history. Like I'll be like, okay, you do pop art, you do art deco. Like I'll do surrealism. Like let's meet back here next week and talk about artists and like the principles of these different things. Art, visual art, something I love about it is it's so reactive. Like the movements in art, like they're so mad at each other. It's like, oh, minimalism. Like, oh, we hated expression. Like that's not art. Like they'll just be like, oh, pop art. That was disgusting. Now we're doing this. Like they're so, they'll just be like, oh, those guys before us, they come in with a whole like bullet point list of like, this is art now. You thought it was this. And now actually it's that. Like a music's definitely reactive, but it's less like, I don't know. Like you go to a museum and you're like, oh, that was that era. And then like these people did not speak, you know? Totally. Totally. Yes. And that used to exist in music in like the classical era, but not so much anymore. Like people would see Stravinsky and then flip out and riot and leave the place it's being played. But that doesn't really happen yeah. so much anymore unless the artist gets on a drunk rant. Like that's the only time. Yeah. That happens. So that was like what? 1913 Stravinsky? Right. Uh, it's super yeah. long ago. I mean, yeah. I, like even like the Beatles are like low hanging fruit, right? Right. That's not, there's just so much reaction in art and I love it. I love the drama. That's, that's what I've been learning about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so good. You're, you're doing stuff outside. I think every artist does stuff outside of whatever it is their main you thing have is. You have, exactly. You have yeah. to. <laughs> uh, that's also, you know, you said before, what well, makes a good producer? I, I think that does too. Like, I think I really enjoy working with producers that understand life and art and the world outside of their like I, there's nothing that I dislike more than going to a session with somebody where it's like they'd never look up from the computer and all they care about are the buttons you know nice to connect and to make art and conversation I like that so second to last question when you're first starting out, and you can define that however you want to say starting out, it could be when you're 12 learning piano, it could be when you left to move to LA, it could be anything, any starting point you want to define. What was your idea of success, whatever that meant to you? And how has that changed over time? And what is it now? I think when I was very, very young, my idea of success was very superficial. And it was like, I think I just saw confidence. And I went like, you know, I loved pop stars when I was very young, like eight or nine. I loved Britney Spears and stuff. And I just like, my version of success was like, that person is doing something really well. She was like a great dancer and performer. She does this really well. Everyone claps for her. She gets money for it. And like, I, I think I just saw the sum. I didn't really think of the individual parts. I just went like that. I want to do that. And I think as an adult, a lot of the superficial stuff has faded away. And I, well, okay. I should say like, 
on some level, I think when you're a teenager, that that sort of superficial stuff is kind of like goes to the surface. And I think it's kind of circles back to getting back to the art as you grow up. And so I think that success to me now looks more like being able to make art and like getting to do that for a living. But I think success also means happiness and being happy. That's something that nobody ever emphasized. It was always like, work very hard, get to where you want to be. And I kind of like hit a wall where I was like, oh, I, I really actually have to put a huge amount of effort into doing things that I like and doing this for me and remind, reminding myself why I do it, you know. But um, speaking of TED Talks, I recently watched Joseph Gordon-Levitt did one a few years ago. And he does this great speech about paying attention versus getting attention. And he says, when you do things to get attention, it doesn't have the same reward as when you do things because you're paying attention, like because you care about it and you're in a flow state and you enjoy it. And it's like, right now, I feel like success to me would be to be able to make my art without like panicking all the time that I'm going to like not be able to pay rent or something like that. You know what I mean? Like just getting by, feeling good about it. And obviously like it's nice to be recognized, but if I was recognized, I hope it's like, for being consistent and for being like caring and compassionate and thoughtful. And on that topic, I feel like being successful would be actually going beyond art and then using whatever platform I have to like do something good in the world beyond just dropping art. I like that. So last question, which is dead simple. Where can people find you? What's the name of your latest album, Instagrams, website, all that good stuff. Okay. You can find me at, at Luna X shadows on pretty much all socials. TikTok is different, but you'll figure it out. Luna Shadows on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Music. I'm on Discord as well. My server, I don't know what it's called, Luna Shadows. They keep changing it on me like as a joke. They're really funny. And my album's called Digital Pacific. It came out in February. It's now three months old. And it's an amazing album. I love it so much. I've listened to it all the way through so many times. It's so good. Okay, wait, one last thing, Akash. Go. I, okay, this is like going to sound random, but I'm just connecting it back to an earlier question. Okay. Go for it. Okay, okay, okay. So this past week, I'm tying this into my interest in art history and also to all the questions you asked me about aspiring producers and how you get your song. on. Okay, so I read this article last week, amazing article about Vincent Van Gogh's sister-in-law. Long story short, They've just found out that his sister-in-law, Joe Van Gogh, is basically responsible for his success. Vincent Van Gogh died at 37, and uh, she was left with 400 paintings. He was basically a failure. He, he had sold hardly any paintings. He'd pissed off art critics. He was not very popular. And it took somebody really advocating for him for many, many years, um, trying to explain to people what was special about him, trying to win over hearts and minds for this person to become you know what many people consider the greatest artist of all time and i think i got a few takeaways from this but one of them is you know your art i get so many messages and i'm like about like how do i get seen or how do i get hurt it's like sometimes it's just a matter of persistence it's just a matter of pushing through and it's like sending one more email when you think you're about to break um also sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time and maybe that art was not, it didn't make sense until after he died. And that sucked. I'm, I hope you're all alive for when your art is successful. But I'm meaning to say this in an encouraging way. Like, don't read too much into like, 
oh, I put out this song and it didn't immediately blow up. Like there are so many paths for you if you're listening and you're like an aspiring artist. Just stay on the path. Hang in there. That's my point. I think that is literally the best point imaginable to wrap this up on. So thank you. I don't know. So, 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 so much. So much for being here. It was so good. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game, music, and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.